Good? Wonderful. Sorry for the lack of lighting here. You're just going to have to see the light shining from my face this morning. Uh, we had a flickering light, so uh, yeah. Uh, hopefully we can uh, move forward in a non-distracting way. So honesty is the best policy. I kind of just, you know, start from that uh, point of view this morning, that it's good to be open, it's good to be honest, no need in the context of biblical community to hide anything or pretend, okay? So given that, I just decided it might be a good day uh, to come clean on a few things, okay? I'm going to do a little confession, right? We're in church, we confess things, so I'm going to confess something. It may uh, be upsetting to many of you. It may disrupt the flow this morning, but I just, I got to get it off my chest, okay? So here it is. This is my confession for the morning. Doreen and I recently started watching Downton Abbey on Amazon Prime. Now, depending on your perspective, that's going to bother you for one of two reasons. One, the reason you're upset is because I just started watching Downton Abbey. Because you guys are done with that, and you loved it, and how could I have possibly missed it? All these, is it years? Years. I'm clueless, right? Or, you're one of those action-adventure types that's like, you know, the, the European dramas, just like, give me a break, man. And so you're looking at me like, you're seriously watching Downton Abbey? Yes, I am. It's my confession of the morning. So recently, I think it was like Wednesday night, we were in like our fourth or fifth episode. Now mind you, I've fallen asleep in the first five minutes sitting up in every episode <laughs> and during waking up. So really, I'm not even technically watching Downton Abbey at all. Uh, for whatever reason, the accents in the very low-key drama get me sleeping very early. Uh, and so I haven't seen much. But anyway, I saw a little bit of the last episode, and uh, it came to a conclusion. I'm kind of scratching my head, like, what's going on? And Doreen says to me, you know, this is a little hard to follow. Right? You ever had one of those moments where you're watching something, and you're, you're deep into it, but you're like, I don't really know what's going on, right? And so she says, this is really hard to follow. And I said, oh, Really? And so we're look, I'm looking at the screen, and you know how Apple TV's got the things listed, what you've watched? And I look at the screen, and it says, Season 5, Episode 4. <laughs> we're in our fourth episode, and it's, we just watched Season 5, Episode 4. I'm like, babe, I think I know why it's hard to follow. Because we've skipped like four seasons. Things aren't adding up, right? True story. I think maybe it's run its course down to Nabby and we need to move on to something with cops and mystery. I don't know. Um, but nonetheless. So here we are in Matthew chapter 3 today in our series uh, in the book of Matthew. And you'll see right away, if you have any semblance of what's going on in the book, that there seems to be a, a massive skip of time and information. Like you've gone from the narratives about Jesus' lineage, 
into his birth and all the circumstances surrounding Herod's desire to kill him and then going to Egypt, finally coming back to Nazareth as a child and then all of a sudden we got like a 25-year jump into Matthew chapter 3. And so we see this figure come on the scene, John the Baptist. But if we've been in this series at all, we know that this is about Jesus, right? Matthew's purpose in recording the events that he does is not to record absolutely everything that happened in Christ's life ministry, but specifically to record things and write things down that point us to the nature and the identity of Jesus. And now all of a sudden, we're skipping 25 years in the life of Jesus, potentially. There's obviously no exact number there. And now... We're talking about John the Baptist. Who is this John the Baptist? It's not John Bousquet, uh, our our first impressions team leader. I'm not talking about John Bousquet, although you can call him John the Baptist now if you want. Um, This is a bizarre, interesting, confrontational, prophetic figure that we're going to see that is going to have a specific message for us. And the question becomes, how does his ministry and how does his message continue to do what? Point us to the nature and the identity of Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing this morning. Again, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Let's dig in. Let's read this passage and see who John the Baptist is, what his message is, and how this continues to point us to the nature of and the identity of Jesus Christ. John, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, follow along with me. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees Coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees, and every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the Word of God, and all God's people said, Amen. 
listen, someone do me a favor and grab me a water. This cold's still hitting me hard. I'm, I'm getting pretty jacked up. Thank you, Matt. <clears throat> you need to change now. That's the message of John the Baptist. You need to change now. We see this right away in verse 1 and 2. We see that John the Baptist came, thanks brother, preaching, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And his message is very clear. In one word, he tells the people that are coming to his baptism what he expects them to do. And it's simple. Repent. Repent. One word, ethical imperative. This is what you're expected to do. Repent. Now, you can imagine, right, people taking a little bit of a walk into the woods, maybe taking a little break from the hustle and bustle of Jerusalem and all the surrounding towns, out into the wilderness, trying to get away from it all, all the pressure, and them running into this crowd of people in this bizarre character yelling, Repent! So much for a change of pace. So much for a relaxing hike. Enjoyable walk along the River Jordan. Repent. Change. What does this mean? It means a thorough change back. Turner says it's a turning of the whole person from sin to God in obedience. The whole person turning from sin to God. You may have heard me illustrate it this way before. Uh, we've talked about repentance often here. We uh, illustrated in uh, what Bill Anthes taught his daughter. Pastor Bill Anthes was a pastor at Grace Covenant. He's since retired. Always appreciated his simple way to explain repentance to his daughter when his daughter asked him, what is repentance? He told his daughter to walk away from him in the opposite direction, and then he said, stop, turn, and come back. And that's exactly what his young daughter did. She walked away from the father, and then she stopped she did a 180 degree turn and she came back. That is what repentance is. So when John says, repent, he's saying, change everything. Change everything. In your relationship to sin and in your relationship to God, you must change now. And there's an urgency that comes with this. This repentance is indeed a conversion, right? It's, it's understood to be a radical change of everything about us in relationship to God. That's what John the Baptist's message is to the world. Repent, change everything now. And there's a sense of urgency that comes with it and a basis for such a call. He goes on to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That urgency comes from that phrase, at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. It's not far. It's not distant. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're to change everything about our relationship to God and our relationship with sin. We're to stop running from God in sin and start running to God in obedience and faith. All because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What do we mean by the kingdom of heaven? It's just Matthew's way of saying the kingdom of God. God's rule. God's reign. It's not far. It's not distant. It's here. It's present. It's invading Human reality, the kingdom of God, his rule, his reign. D.A. Carson says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is the exercise of God's sovereignty, his rule, his reign, his authority, which bears directly on his saving purposes. So when John the Baptist is saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's saying that in time, in history, God is acting and manifesting and exercising his authority in such a way to save. That's good news. That's good news. Remember, we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about the coming of the king. Right? The, the son of David. The fulfillment of all these promises and this prophecy that is made. The keeping of those promises. Right? The king is here, which means what? The kingdom is here. The coming of the king signals and brings to fruition the coming of the kingdom. He's not far. The kingdom is not far. So God, in the person of Jesus Christ, is exercising and manifesting his universal authority over all things. In a way to save and to bring about his purposes in the world. Maybe to shorten the kingdom of heaven is to see that God is mediating his authority through, right? Mediating his authority through Jesus. In a unique way. In a special way that was promised and is now being fulfilled in this reality. So there is where the urgency comes from. The urgency to change. The urgency to stop in our tracks. Reconsider. Reevaluate. That because the authority of God is present and active in the world through the King. That we may want to turn. Turn away from sin and turn to God in obedience. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what John's message is. Really, in the tradition of the prophets, he's calling on God's people. He's calling on all people to turn away from their sin. Right, that word turn in the Old Testament often used to just to convey this idea of repentance. Turn 
from your sin. Turn back to the living God. That's what John the Baptist was calling the people to. This urgency. Right? This urgent call to return back. The reality of God's kingdom is calling all of us. Calling all of us to an urgent change in relationship to God. Do you feel the urgency even now? This isn't outdated material. The kingdom of heaven is still a reality that we cannot ignore. That we must face. Do you feel the urgency in 2019 to turn from sin, your rebellion, and turn to God? 180 degree shift in relationship to Him. That's what John's message is. That's what the reality of the kingdom calls us to. An urgent change in relationship to God. This message, this preaching, this prophetic ministry is a preparatory one, isn't it? Preparing people for the For the imminent coming of the king. You see verse 3. Matthew says. For this is he. Who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. When he said in chapter 40. uh, Isaiah 40 verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Right. It's this idea. that, That when the king would come. To a particular city. That, that roads would be built, that access would be easy, right? The tearing down of trees and, and the leveling of the road because the king is coming. And we're making it easy and accessible and appropriate for the coming of a king. So let's be prepared for the day when the king comes to the city. What he's saying is that John the Baptist is this voice, this Voice crying out in the wilderness, saying, prepare, prepare ye the coming of the Lord. Make his paths straight. What he's not saying is go outside and start cutting down trees. What he's saying is, is prepare your heart for the coming of the king. Prepare your heart for the coming of the king. And we prepare how? In repentance. Repentance. Turning away from our sin and turning to God in trust and obedience. So that's what we see taking place. And so this is what the people are doing. It goes on to say John's fashion clearly didn't go to Banana Republic. He's got a caramel, I'm sorry, a a garment of, man, I'd love some caramel. A garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. So he was not GMO, right? He was organic, right? Someone finally amened, right? So John the Baptist is there in the wilderness. He's a prophetic figure. He's, a, he's an odd figure, a, a bizarre guy in the prophetic tradition, And yet his message is repent. It's preparatory. And these people from Jerusalem and Judea and all the region about the Jordan, they were all going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. They're doing two things. In response 
coming for baptism, and they're coming confessing their sins, right? These acts of repentance, these acts of preparation, are now being more concretely shown. There are people that are coming for baptism, which in their mind is not necessarily how we see baptism now. So it might be helpful, right? So these people understood baptism to just simply be a a ritual cleansing, right? They understood that they were unclean. They understood that sin made them unclean before God. They understood that they needed to be cleansed. They understood that, right? You you hear prayers in the Psalms, like when in in David's uh, prayer in Psalm 51, he's praying, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, right? Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That in the midst of his confessing prayer, it's being honest with God about his shortcomings and his sins and his rebellion, as wicked as they are, he's crying out, feeling a sense of uncleanness, of, of being dirty before God. And he's saying, wash me, cleanse me from my sin. And so these people were coming with an expectation to be washed, to be cleansed. right? And really, this was not just like, a, a, a constant act that they would do, but it was understood to be a, a conversion act for those who were not Jews to become Jews. Right? The Jewish people didn't do this. But this is what now John is calling all people, including the Jews. Repent. You need clean. You need cleansed. You need washed. Yeah, even you, Jews, the covenant people, You need to be washed. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about here this morning. You feel the weight of your sins. And you you know that you're unclean in the presence of a perfect and holy God. And you yearn for the Lord to clean you, to wash you. That's what they're doing. Baptism becomes a a physical sign of an inward cleansing that is taking place. But they were also confessing their sins, the text says. They were being baptized by him, and they were confessing their sins. Not hiding. Not pretending. Not shoving them under a rug. Not ignoring them. No, they understood that sin and their uncleanness was a big deal, and that the only... Hope for mercy was to cry out to God and say, listen, I did it. (laughs) I did it. I was wrong. They're confessing their sins. Right? Psalm 32, David again. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. When I didn't confess, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. That when we hold our sins in, right, and we hide them, that it eats at us. It's like a poison inside, right? It eats at us. We hold it in. And it, like, it's this weight that we have. He's saying that, that, that when, I, when I kept silent, my, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. You know that experience well, don't you? When the Spirit of God is, is, is pursuing you in your sin. In the heaviness of God's holiness. 
And yet his grace that says, come on, come to me, confess. He says, my, my strength was dried up as the heat of summer. And then he goes on to say, but then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. See, that's the beauty here. The the call to repent is clear. The reality of the kingdom is at hand. And these people were responding. Because they understood that in the character of God, there is always hope for pardon. There's always hope for Him to wash them. That when they confess their sins to God, that He hears that confession and He cleanses them, as First John says, from all unrighteousness. And so they were going, responding in baptism and confessing their sins. They weren't hiding them. They weren't ignoring this reality. They were turning to God. You wonder, the coming of the king, you know, in the real, dealing with the reality of sin, and the coming judgment for those who are rebellious and who refuse to repent. You wonder, like, in our day, do we, do we even have repentance as a priority that's urgent? Right? There's so many dooms of the day that people are, are just putting before us. Wake up! If you don't wake up, there's going to be an economic collapse. You've got you to gotta sell all your stocks and buy gold. Wake up, people! Right? Put all your money under your bed in a lockbox. Right? There's so much fear out there about the economy or the environmental catastrophe that's upon us. An environmental catastrophe is at hand. We got to wake up, people. We got to do something in response. We can't ignore this. Nuclear war is coming. Nuclear war's at hand. We got to do something. We have to find peace in this world. We have to engage in diplomacy. There's a global health crisis just around the corner. Take turmeric. We're doomed. Some of us are very passionate about those things, and in some ways should be. But what about the priority of the king is coming? The kingdom of God's at hand. Repent. Repent. Change everything about your relationship to sin. Change everything in relationship to God. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when the king comes, he's going to save, yes. But he's also going to judge sin. Repent. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
That's what the reality of the kingdom calls us to. An urgent, can't wait, can't put it off, can't ignore it any longer. Not tomorrow, not next week, not in ten years, not after I experience this life to the fullest in all of its pleasures. Now you must change. And it is a gracious command. It sounds so harsh, repent, doesn't it? It sounds so heavy-handed, like a punch in the face. But it is a gracious gift. So when you repent, it opens wide the gate for grace and pardon from God. So don't put it off any longer. Don't wait. Don't think next week, tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow and next week will bring. But here you are. And you hear the reality of the kingdom. Let us all hear this universal call upon all of humanity from a voice in the wilderness. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. It's an urgent call. But not only an urgent call, but a radical call. Radical call. This is a radical call. You see what happens here. The the Pharisees and the Sadducees, verse 7, they show up. Oh, man. You know, like the spiritual elite show up. You know, like cufflink cats show up. Right? They roll up in their spiritual Rolls Royces. They want to see what's going on. What's this John doing? Well, yeah, maybe we should go to baptism. You know, they roll in, and John sees who they are. He sees what they're doing. And John looks at him and he offensively says, You snakes! You brood of vipers! What are you doing here? You know, who warned you to flee from wrath? Right? You guys got it all together. You're doing all the right things. You're the spiritual elite. You got all the theology. You figured it out. You understand the scriptures. You're the teachers. Surely you're good. Surely you don't need to repent. Surely you don't need to make any adjustment in the direction and values of your life. You're the spiritual elite. You got it all right. I do this. I do this. I do this. I do this. On the surface, these guys, they don't need to repent, right? Who, are you? Who warned you? Who could have possibly warned you to flee from God's wrath, you snakes? See, John, being the prophet, knows who they are and what they're doing there. He looks past their external, all-talk righteousness. And he's confronting it. Head on. He's confronting it head on. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Show me something. Don't just talk. Don't just put your spiritual cufflinks on and roll up in the, in the Rolls Royce. Uh-uh. Bear fruit. Show me the money. You're all talk. You need to walk it out. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so in doing this, what he's doing is he, he's, he's rejecting For them and all that were there and for us here. All forms of external surface level change. He's saying no that's not going to do. 
Those who live in pride and self-righteousness, who think because they do these things right all the time, on the outside it looks great, everything's going well, that's not going to suffice. That's insufficient. That's not genuine repentance. That's not what the kingdom of God is calling you to. And so he's, and he's saying, even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Urgency. The axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree. You guys aren't excluded, Pharisees and Sadducees. You guys aren't excluded. Every tree that does not bear fruit, guess what? It's going to be chopped and burned. The reality of the kingdom. The coming of the king. So he's awakening all of us to the reality of God's judgment in the coming of the kingdom. And so the reality of God's kingdom is calling us to a radical change. I don't mean radical like, like wild, like I'm a radical Steelers fan. Like, you know, like I'm going tomorrow to the game and I might get arrested tomorrow at the game because I'm a little radical Steelers fan, okay? Even at 0-3, I'm radical. I'm a little wild, crazy. I'm obnoxious about it. When I talk about radical, I'm not talking about obnoxious. I'm not talking about wild. I'm talking about root, right? Where do we get uh, the term for radish, root vegetable? Right? Sproul talks about this. We talked about radical depravity in his teaching on radical depravity. He's talking about that sin, at, we at the core, in the root of who we are, are corrupt. We're corrupt. And so we need, don't need just an external change in relationship to God. We need a radical one, an internal change, one that deals with our soul, one that deals with our identity. One that deals with our heart before God. Pharisees, Sadducees, nope, not going to do. No spiritual cufflinks are going to help you. You can, you can iron your pants and look really good for everybody, but here's the deal. God sees your heart and your snakes. Pretty confrontational. And he confronts all self-righteousness. We need new hearts, right? David prays, create in me a what? Clean heart heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Create in me a clean heart. David knows he needs a clean heart. Do you know that you need a clean heart? That repentance, genuine repentance, is a radical change? The root of you? Where all the fruit is born out of? That's what the reality of the kingdom calls us to. A radical, root-changing in relationship to God. And then John goes on to say, I'm trying to finish up here. Listen, verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so while he's calling these people and us to a radical change. He's even pointing to his own insufficiency. To bring it about. And he's even pointing to the insufficiency of their repentance in the Jordan. Their baptism in the Jordan. He's saying, listen, 
you're coming to me, you're getting baptized in water for repentance. I'm preparing you. I'm the appetizer. I'm not the meal. You follow me? My baptism is insufficient. It's still external. But I'm preparing you for the internal one. And that comes from Jesus Christ. He says, I just baptized with water. I'm insufficient. But he who is coming after me, he's mightier than I. He's more worthy. He's so worthy that I can't even be a slave. I can't even carry his sandals for him. That's how worthy the one who is coming is. Guys, that's Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus. That when he's confronting the external repentance and the external spirituality, when he's uncovering our deep need for an inner cleansing, a new heart, he's saying, this baptism is insufficient, but the one who is coming, Jesus, he's all sufficient. His baptism will bring about what you desperately need. An inner cleansing, a new heart, total, eternal purification from all your sins. You'll be clean when he baptizes you. Friends, that's the gospel. That's what Jesus provides. And I love this. I love this so much. It was a light bulb moment for me when I was preparing this week. That you see this command to repent. Go forth. Repent. Change everything. Change it now. Change it inside. Everything about you has got to change. It's got to change now. And how about, I know about you, but there are so many things in my life, and maybe really when I was eight years old and I first heard the gospel, there was just a, a humble recognition, a mission of weakness. I can't. You're telling me to change, but I can't. Right? I, I won't. Like, I, I try. I really do. Like, I give it all I've got, but I keep going back to sin. I keep doing that thing, whatever that thing is for you. I keep doing that. I keep going back. I'm, it's just who I am. I was born this way. This is how I live. There's nothing I can do to change it. I'm trying really hard. I'm doing all the right things on the outside. I'm praying, and it's just not happening. I'm not changing. beauty of this passage to me is that it's such gift and grace to the weak, to the spiritually bankrupt, to the people who, who say, uh, you know, you got, he's addressing the people who won't, right? No, I'm not going to change. I'm the Pharisees. We're good. But I think the grace here is he's addressing the people that say, I can't. Maybe you're here today. And you hear the call of repentance and there's specific besetting sins in your life. Or you, you're struggling even to believe in Jesus altogether. And you're just like, I just can't do it. I can't pull it off. I don't have the strength to conjure up faith in that way. I'm shackled in my sin. I can't change. John's saying, yeah, I know. You know what, my baptism... It's just water. Do you know what? One who's coming, 
He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Meaning, you hear the command repent from God. The reality of the kingdom calls us to an urgent radical change. You need to repent. And then you get the gospel. You get the ministry and the baptism of Jesus that provides the grace necessary to obey. For the weak person, this is wonderful news. You mean to tell me he's, he's commanding me to repent and then he's providing his very presence, his power within me to actually bring such repentance and change about? That's exactly what I'm saying. So if you're weak here today, perfect. If you're weak this morning, excellent. You're in a perfect place to just receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, total purification, the gift of a new heart, cleansing from within, full pardon, full purification, and the power of the Spirit to now prompt obedience. God commands, God provides the grace required to obey. So if you're here today, rejoice. If you're weak, rejoice. If, if you're here in self-pride and like, well, but I go to church every week and I give money to the Rotary Club. I just made that up. Whatever kind of self-merit you have, this is horrible news for you. Because you like your own merit. You like your own self-righteousness. You hear the call and you say, I don't need to change at all. I'm in the right. God accepts me because I'm not as bad as that guy. No. But if you're weak and if you're bankrupt and you got nothing but a humble spirit and a contrite heart, God will not despise you. Turn. Maybe even now you're sensing the spirit of God enabling such turning. You hear the word preached. He's turning you. Yeah, you're turning. You're repenting. Don't mishear me. Do not mishear me. You are doing it volitionally. But man, now you've got the strength and the power by the Spirit to do it. Without that, you can't. You can't. But when the Spirit comes, when Jesus baptizes you, when you trust in Him by faith and you reject all the sin in the world and you, and you live with an awareness of the kingdom, He baptizes you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Just means he purifies you. Just like Ezekiel promised. When God promised a new covenant. I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean. From all your uncleannesses. Someone say amen. From all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And what? Be careful to obey my rules. Wow. God is good. Repent. Here's the grace to do it. Here's my presence. Here's my spirit. Here's the heart of flesh that you need because you got a heart of stone. I'm doing a little heart transplant now. You're a new person. Spiritual DNA completely rewired to joyful obedience. You see, you don't get that in any other religion in the world where God commands you and then provides all that you need to obey. This is Christ's baptism. He's unique. 
He's the one who's worthy and mighty. And when he baptizes you, it's an effective way to make you new. As you walk in faith and repentance. And yet for those who refuse, understand this, he's still at work. Purifying his people. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He's got that fork and he's throwing it up. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And hear the reality of the kingdom. That his intent purpose is to purify for himself a people that are his own possession. Right? And so Jesus is doing the work of baptizing, but he's also doing the work of harvesting. And so he's gathering his wheat, but the chaff falls to the ground, is swept up, and burned. Meaning, the reality of judgment for the unrepentant. For those who do not change, the reality of judgment is inescapable. And that time, the kingdom of God coming with all of its fullness and authority is drawing nigh. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And one day Jesus will return. And that that window of time is closing. How much longer we do not know. But repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because he is indeed gathering his wheat and putting it into his storehouse. And he is indeed intending fully to execute divine justice. And to judge those who are unrepentant. So here we have the reality of the kingdom of God. It's calling all of us to a urgent, radical change in relationship to God. And it's providing the grace necessary to do so. Amen? I don't know about you, but I read this. And, you know, I talked about kind of skipping and fast-forwarding through a series at the start. I don't know about you, but I go through a text like this, and I feel like I'm not fast-forwarding, I'm rewinding. To the simple, profound message of the gospel. When I first heard it, right? Awareness of my sin in relationship to God. And hearing the truth that God has done everything in Jesus Christ to cleanse me from within. And that when I turn to Him in faith and repentance, empowered by His Spirit, I'm clean, I'm purified. I'm no longer subject to the coming judgment. And that the Spirit of God lives inside of me. Enabling me to joyful obedience. Maybe you just needed that. There's a lot of complexity there and a lot of yelling. But if you just think about it. It's just just a simple gospel call on us. Repent. The kingdom of heaven's at hand. Receive the Holy Spirit. Turn to Christ. Turn from sin. That's what the reality of the kingdom of God is calling us to, isn't it? Simple, yet personal, urgent, radical change in relationship to God. I pray the Spirit of God did all of that in your heart today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Christ's name with joy. We come to you with gratitude and amazement for all that you have 
called us to and all the grace that you have given in Jesus that enables us to respond faithfully. Pray that everybody here, wherever they are in relationship to God, would continue to turn away from sin and turn to you in faith and repentance with great joy and excitement. Spirit of God, move in the hearts of the people in this room. Break down the barriers of hardness of heart, sin, rebellion of idolatry. You know, we didn't even mention it in the, in the sermon, but probably should have. But completely dependent upon the Spirit for everything. We can't do it on our own. Pray the Spirit of God just move in the hearts of men and women. It's your word, the power of the Spirit that changes lives. So we call on people to change. Pray you would just change now. Change people, God. Do a work in their heart. Bring them to you. Strengthen the weak. Give joy to those who are in despair. Give focus to those who are distracted with the things of this world that are so important, so they see. Move, Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name.